Strokeside Designs is a New York-based fine jewelry company focused on water sports. This is the best jewelry I have found through many years of searching. I love my Dragon Boat Paddle Heart earrings and my pendant. The jewelers at Strokeside Designs have worked for famous jewelry houses such as Tiffany & Company and Cartier. All of the pieces are hand-finished from fine materials. Express your passion for kayaking, canoeing, and dragon boating. Visit PaddleJewelry.com and get free shipping with the code PINK. That is PaddleJewelry.com and enter the code PINK. Are you a dragon boat athlete? Have you ever thought about joining a team? Hornet Water Sports makes high-performance, lightweight, carbon fiber dragon boat paddles. You can choose from one of their many graphic designs. Don't settle for just a boring black paddle. I love their design so much that I have four different paddles. They also have all of the dragon boat accessories that you need, paddle bags, tip covers, tape, and more. Visit their website at hornetwatersports.com and enter the code PINK at checkout to receive 10% off of your order. That's hornetwatersports.com and enter the code PINK. My guest on this episode is Lori Godfrey from Portland, Oregon. Lori shares her story behind the pink ribbon. She talked about noticing changes in her breast, but was dismissed by her doctor. About three months later, she found a lump, and she really felt like that was a sign from God and promised that she would have it taken care of. She consulted with a friend who quickly referred her out to a breast surgeon and oncologist. And Lori really talks about how things progressed so quickly after that her course of treatments, and then ultimately finding the sport of dragon boating. Take a listen in as Lori shares her story. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. And please share this podcast with a friend or two. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. I'm here today with Lori Godfrey. Lori was diagnosed with invasive ductal carcinoma stage 3B in August of 2007 at the age of 49. She lives in Portland, Oregon. I actually met Lori through a mutual peddling friend, uh, Carol Jones, uh, who used to be with Lori's team, but is now with my team. So um, mm -hmm. she made that connection for us. So welcome to the show, Lori. It's nice to have you. Thanks so much. Really excited to be here. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about your experience. I mean, 2007, that was the same year I was diagnosed. So you're coming up on 13 years. Um, yeah. So tell me a little bit about how this kind of happened for you. Um, you know, if it was a self-breast exam, if it was a regular uh, checkup, your annual mammogram, how did you find the, the cancer? Yeah. So I had, thanks for that great question. I had uh, breast implants prior to my diagnosis. So it was odd that um, I was having some breast changes around, you know, you've got an implant, which I'm familiar with that. And I know a lot of your listeners are very familiar with what it's like to have an implant, but this was done for cosmetic reasons and I was very happy to have them, etc. I had noticed some thickening along the uh, surgical line and went to my physician and asked her to take a you know look at it put her hands on it to see what she felt and she said no it's nothing that's just scar tissue etc 
But she did send me in for a mammogram, and, and it was diagnostic because when you have an implant, you need to have the radiologist hand uh, read the results, etc. So it's a little bit more of a complicated process. Went in, had my mammogram, had him come in and uh, do the extra test, and he basically said that, and the results came back that I did have something going on and my lymph nodes in particular, and he said, well, it's nothing because I find that it's just simply reactive to the implant that you have in. So I basically thought I had a problem, was poo-pooed, set aside, and then about three or four months later, it was still there. And I, uh, my, interestingly enough, I had gone into, I had a, my same breast uh, surgeon. She and I were uh, friends at the time, and we were chatting, and I asked her as well. I said, hey, can you put your hand on this and see what you think? And she's, she basically gave me no response. Um, and came back into her room with a card for me and uh, asked, said, I've already made an appointment for you tomorrow. Oh, wow. You need to go see, see a friend of mine. I said, that's a good do. friend. Yeah, that's a good friend. So I was like, yeah, sure will. So I yeah. popped in there. Well, let and, me, uh, I'm going to pause yeah, go real quick because I have a quick question. So, yeah. um, because for, for me, I've only ever had um, two mammograms in my life and they were back to back. And so I don't really have a, um, true understanding of like the annual experience with mammograms. So it's because you have your regular breast tissue plus an implant, you are still able to do mammograms. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. And how long had you had the implants, um, prior to this happening? I had had them in for probably about five years. Okay. And so it plenty of time for them to just be normalized and, you know, sitting quietly, not bothering me at all. And interestingly, I left this little piece out of the story before I went to my friend who was the breast surgeon and had her take a look and, you know, give me her opinion. And, and remember, she's not a cancer doctor per se. She's just, this is what she does. She's a plastic surgeon. And, but my father was also passing away. He was in a hospital in Arizona, had had a heart surgery was not going to survive. I was there with my mother and uh, I was laid down to go to sleep on this little tiny cot that night. That was one of those window cots in hospitals yeah. for the for the evening. And I rolled over because it's such a thin little narrow area. And I had my, my left hand uh, kind of, I went to tuck it underneath myself so I could lay on my side to sleep. And I, there was a lump around my um, rib bone. And I thought, well, and it was so odd. And this was really the tell. This is why I took action. And I continued to work on it. Is I put my hand on that, and I, my immediate reaction was, oh, that's something. That's something that shouldn't be there. Yeah. And I immediately went into this uh, discussion with God, and I said, you know what? That's something. I recognize that's something. I'm going to do something about it. Thank you for the, because I really thought it was a God thing. I said, thank you for the. The alert, thank you for the attention. I promise I'll take care of this as soon as I'm finished with that. And that was what I, where I set it down at that point. But it was nagging, right? So so then when I got back into town, I started to take these actions. So, so not, only, in not that, only did I have this. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, no long, not only did I have this thickening along this, the my scar tissue, but also I had this now a lymph node, what it turns out to be a lymph node that had reacted that was down in my rib cage. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in yeah. that, so you went for the mammogram, they kind of, you know, as you said, poo-pooed you for about three to yeah. four months. Yeah. Did you go to your friend 
um, who was the breast surgeon in that yes. time frame, or was it kind of after that, like three to four months where you finally were just like some, I have it to was see. An, yeah. So I'd set it down. I you know really wasn't working on it for about three or four months okay. before I realized I could go talk to my breast surgeon friend. And then she gave me the referral to her friend, which was a, and I didn't realize it was interesting. I didn't really look closely at this card. I just knew that the appointment had been set. I was in search for information. I show up at the appointment which is in Texas Medical uh, Center in Dallas, Texas. And I walk into the her uh, waiting room and I go in, check myself in. I sit down and it's, I mean, it's packed. This, this room is packed with women. And I, it starts to dawn on me that many of these women are wearing wigs and scarves. Oh. And, I, and I thought, holy cow, she thinks I have cancer. So she didn't necessarily... You didn't have Never that conversation it. before. No, no. Oh, wow. And it's probably because I didn't want to know, right? I was like, mm, she's looking at me. She's telling me to go check this out and I'm going to do it. And we never spoke a word about her concern. I just took, I just left. So, and, and again, because the appointment was the following day, I didn't feel like I, you know, no time was wasting. I didn't ask a question and just showed up there. Sure. Well, sure. sure. You, so interestingly, I, I go in for my appointment with this oncologist, breast surgeon oncologist is what I realized I had arrived at. And it wasn't, a, but a 15 minute conversation. She examined me and then sent me out for biopsy that, that minute. And we had results about four hours later. So we're there. Wow. That's fast. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, really fast. Lighten, that's great. Fast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cause many of us, I mean, the reality is, is that there are many of us that wait, you know, a couple of days, sometimes even oh. a week and somebody else oh, that yeah. waited, um, I, would, I think it was like three weeks um, that I had talked to. So yeah, four hours. <laughs> I've is, heard that too. Yeah. I've heard that too. It just seems like. Oh, it's crazy. So crazy. Yeah. In fact, she told me, she said, yeah, it was nuts. Yeah. So were there any concerns with where the current implant was situated and where they were having to go in for the biopsy? Not really. No. Okay. Not really. Not, not a lot came about of that. They went and did the biopsy, you know, pulled cells out, right? Did that kind of a punch biopsy that that particular afternoon. And then the, and literally was the very next day I went into surgery and had that lump that turned out to be in that thickening of my breast area. There was a lump there and they took that out, excised that uh, about two days later, took that. And that's what was sent to pathology as well. That, you know, continued on not only the cells that they took on the first um test but then sent it off and that's where I got the full okay so that mm -hmm. I mean that really happened pretty quickly and you know for for somebody who's not necessarily thinking cancer mm -hmm. you know I mean what were your thoughts if you can remember um, yeah oh, I certainly you know I, yeah I, I feel like some people <laughs> do some people don't um yeah but yeah well, I just remember it because it seems it was pretty dramatic for me because it was happening really fast and I didn't have a lot of time to think from one minute to the next you know when I was waiting from the biopsy to when she had told me then that she anticipated having those results that day and to stay close right because I lived about an hour and a half away from where this test was at so my husband and I went off to lunch, came back, had this discussion with her and with the, the oncologist where she gave me the results that I had cancer. I got up to leave and, you know, I wasn't really thinking terribly clear, except she told me one thing in particular was that uh, I definitely was going to have to have a mastectomy, not a lumpectomy because I didn't have the, uh, the right breast tissue to be able to make that happen, really thin 
thin skin. I mean, it was slight in frame, et cetera. So she said, no, this is what has to happen. And I challenged her on that because I didn't really want to accept that because I was like, we seemed like we skipped over some other steps. And I was like, okay, well, so anyway, I went to leave the room and got into the hallway. It was a long corridor. I remember the walls so clearly, you know, brown, uh, kind of very institutional and my husband next to me. And I remember as I was walking, I almost collapsed and had to clutch to the wall and clutched on Eric to see if I could stay on my feet. That's how, I mean, that's probably as shook as I was the entire part of my, my, you know, diagnosis, prognosis, surgeries, and all the treatment that I had that I ever felt uh, that uncertain and that shook up. Right. Luckily, luckily for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, I can, I can, I kind of have that same experience where I feel like that was probably the most shaken I had been in the process. I mean, there were other things, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but you know, in terms of just remembering that moment where they said you have cancer, there was no feeling like that um, ever um, since then. So, so I had said earlier that, um, you know, it was stage three B. So it was progressed pretty significantly. I mean, that's a substantial size lump or, okay. So, so, I mean, was that kind of tucked underneath the implant that, you know, I mean, did you, I know that you said that you felt a lump, but I'm thinking it would be pretty big. Different things. I had a couple things going on. So I had the thickening along the scar tissue, which I had really no scar tissue whatsoever. I, that's the way I heal is just, if I have a a surgery, it will be just a thin red line, you know, that fades away to nothing over time. That's just been my experience. I don't have the kind of you know, uh, scar tissue that a lot of people have so that it was developing there was the odd part. After I had my surgery, when I had my, uh, which I ended up having bilateral, you know, I just made a decision, went from fighting having mastectomy to all in on mastectomy. And that was just through a ton of research that I did. And we can talk about that. But I remember um, just when you're talking about the location, come to find out after my surgery had taken place, my breast surgeon, the one that I had met with, the one that was doing my breast surgeon oncologist is the one that uh, came to me right as I was recovering. And she said she was apologetic and had told me that she goes, I've, you know, we, I didn't realize that you're, you had a cancer, you know, you had cancer also another area, right. That was connecting my breast to my sternum. Oh. I had, yeah. And so there was a site there and that ultimately what ended up happening is she took the majority of my pectoral muscle out because she says I had to do that in order to get clear margins. I didn't even realize it was there and she didn't either. When we went into surgery, she was looking at something else and then made this discovery. So it was like, Oh crud. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, really thank goodness for the blessing of putting your hand on that side and feeling that lump because you know, who knows how long it would have taken for you to realize um, that there was something else kind of behind, um, you know, well, yeah, I'm certain. I'm yeah. certain I would have been in stage four at that point because I was already at three B by this, right? You know, by this where we were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you talked about you, um, you decided to go through with a bilateral mastectomy, um, and we can certainly talk about that. But I am curious. At that time in 2007, really was the time where things were coming about with uh, regard to doing genetic testing, and yeah. so were you <laughs> tested? 
Yes, I was. I had just at a coincidence, I happened to have uh, extraordinary coverage. I had my, my husband had insurance. I had insurance and we had a, another, a cancer policy through Aflac. And one of the benefits of that was to have, to be able to have a second opinion at the, um, NIH, I believe is the right term, and San Antonio, where the breast cancer uh, headquarters is at. And so, and I lived in Dallas. It was an easy decision for me to make to go get a second opinion. In that second opinion, another part of that was to get the um, BRCA1 and BRCA2 tests conducted. I had that done and was negative for both BRCA1 and BRCA2. And what was interesting is that in that conversation I had with them, uh, as I was like, oh, phew, I got, you know, clear bill of health and I don't need to worry about my daughter and my, now my granddaughter that's in my life or my four sisters that I have or my mother, you know, this is a much better news. And I was talking to the geneticist about that and she said, oh, wait a second. I'm not saying that. Oh yeah. BRCA1 and BRCA2 you are negative for, but we also have BRCA3, BRCA4 that's under development. We don't have testing for that today, but we know it exists and you may not be clear of those others. And I was like, well, this is news to me. I mean, you know, at that point, you're just kind of reeling yeah. and taking in all kinds of it information. It just rained so on I my parade. I, yeah, yeah. So I don't know where things are today. Uh, honestly, with that BRCA3 and BRCA4 have come about, I doubt they have because I'm sure I would have heard about it. But Yeah, I haven't heard have. yeah. of those specifics. I've heard of, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of others. Um, mm-hmm. Is it something where you think you might eventually go back um, and get retested for the whole panel? Doubtful. Doubtful. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always an individual choice, but um, I mean, I haven't gone back to get the full panel. I am bracket two positive. So I feel like ah, eh, that's sufficient enough. enough. I, yeah. You got enough. I know. Well, yeah. and plus at this point, it already had made the decision to have my left breast removed prophylactically. And so I didn't really feel that, you know, what next step would I take? Right. Um, and, you know, if I had that information, if I was BRCA3 positive, what, how would it change? What would I do in relationship to that? You know, certainly my f- female and, and male relatives as well, my female and male relatives already know that I have this breast cancer diagnosis and where I've been and what all those, they have that information. So for them, uh, they may choose to use that. Inf- maybe they want to go have BRCA1 and BRCA2 tests done. I offered that to all of my siblings at the time. Nobody picked it up. No, not not a one of my sisters said, yep, I think I should do that. Yeah. Okay. So it, well, there you go. You know, yeah. There you go. So yeah. I'm not sure it's going to make any difference to anybody, right. at least that, you know, it's my family. Okay. So what what was it that shifted for you in terms of, you know, kind of, challenging your doctor when she said mm-hmm. mastectomy to then going, yeah. you know, kind of all in and doing a bilateral. What was it that kind of happened for you? Well, for me, because again, I started immediately to do a lot of research with uh, 3B. What did that mean? What was my prognosis? How long would I survive with a 3B diagnosis? And I, so I'm looking at all the information I can get. And, you know, I don't know what your experience has been here, but uh, what i found it to be true is, and this really came out of the lips of my own oncologist. He was a 30-year experienced oncologist. Uh, blood cancer was his for where he'd started and then went into breast cancer and as well. Super nice guy, very informed. And I, you know, was look, I said to him, what do I need to do in order to give myself the best chance of survival? You know, at that point, I look, was looking at a very dire prognosis 3B is no picnic, and it looked like I might have, um, you know, between five and 10 years if you looked at it statistically. And where I was gathering that information up 
was I used the Dr. Love cancer book. You know, oh, yeah. that's the mm-hmm. big, yeah. Every day at lunch, I was working full time at the time and continued to do that all through my um, treatment. But it, it, there was a Barnes and Noble very close to where I worked and I would go over there, grab that book off the shelf and read a couple pages until I couldn't stomach the, those, the rest of it. And would hang, you know, you could only absorb so much information. Yeah. So that was one resource. The other one was uh, breastcancer.org. I don't know if you're familiar with that site, but it is phenomenal. And, you know, you just kind of go in there. There's a section for 3B. And so I'd start reading through that and got uh, on the forums and started doing my own research and recognizing that that was just what somebody's, their experience was, not a physician necessarily. So I took what people were experiencing, what the physicians were saying, and Google, I have to admit, I was out there on the internet searching anything I can, and I remember walking into my doctor's office one day, the oncologist, when I went in there for my treatment, and he said, I said, I think I staged myself 3B before he had, and uh, based on what my criteria was and you know all the details that I had, I'm sure that I said it was stage 3 before he did, and which was interesting because he was kind of of the belief that that was less important information about what the staging was. and. So he and I had a really clear conversation about what that looked like, too, that I was gathering up all this other information and just kind of laying it at his feet to say, is this accurate? And uh, so I'm doing my own research. He's obviously bringing something to the party. And through that, I you know started to understand that I need what little things I could do that would give me another percentage to survive. And one of them was, what was there any reason that I would hang on to this left breast and why would I be fighting for a lumpectomy? Because I, you know, again, what I was reading was that a lot of women that had had chosen to have a lumpectomy ultimately ended up having a mastectomy. And to me, that made sense uh, that why wouldn't I just jump to the end and make that choice now? And so I just did everything. I mean, talk about the kitchen sink. I've done it all. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so from there, um, you had reconstructive surgery I'm yes. assuming. And then um, did you have to do chemo and radiation at all? Yes, I did full round, full treatment on chemo. Okay. Uh, did six, six rounds of that and then continued on with Herceptin infusions okay. for the remaining remainder of that year. So I did Herceptin for a year. Okay. And yeah, my next question did, was going to be, are yes. you ER, ER, PR positive or HER2 um, or triple positive? Um, yeah. So I am triple positive, okay. so it's ER plus, PR plus, and as well as ER as uh, her too. Okay. So I had all of that uh, grade three um, on my tumor, and had some lymph nodes that were active. So and those were all removed during surgery. So I had you know again everything you could have. Uh, thirty four, I think thirty four um, sessions of radiation is the max you can receive in a lifetime. At least that was the case at that point. Oh. Had every bit of, every bit of that. And uh, I would look for more. And if I, if there was more to do, I would have done it. Right, right. So, you know, it's been, it's been 13 years for you. Have you mm-hmm. had any, like, revisions done in terms of the reconstruction? Or has it all been kind of good so far? Uh, no, it's not great. Um, okay. I have, yeah, a lot of contraction on my implants that I have in. Yeah. And they need, I need surgery to either have them removed or I should have the, you know, there's, I need to take an action today. Um, however, I, I'm not. And, and it's not because I don't want to. It's because I have this real commitment to my paddling life, which, you know, I need my, my chest. 
Um, There's not a physical reason. There's not a, let's put it this way. There's not a medical reason that I would have to have these implants out today. So consequently, I just let them sit until I can find a time in my life that I feel it's appropriate for me to have them replaced. And And that's another question. Will I have them replaced and what would I replace them with? Yeah, I think about that a lot too. Um, you know, I'm not quite at that time frame because I had very I had many revisions, um, so I don't actually even know how old mine are. But yeah. um, I know I'm not not at ten years yet um, for them. But I think about that too. Like, what would I? What will I do? What will that look like? And I don't know. Yeah. And who knows? Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of in that same space where you know, if it's not medically necessary. <laughs> I don't know that I would do it because, you know, pedaling is important in my life too. So let's actually talk a little bit about pedaling. Um, I'm kind of curious to hear, you know, how, how you kind of came into pedaling and you are with Pink Phoenix. And I want to make mention that Pink Phoenix is the oldest um, standing breast cancer um, dragon boat pedaling team in the United States. Um, And you guys have a ton of members. Um, Mm -hmm. It's kind of a double-edged sword, if you will, but um, so how did you find um, dragon boating? Well, I've never heard of it prior to coming. I was living in Dallas, Texas, as I said, during my, diagnosis and my home state is Oregon. And so we, my husband asked me, what do you want? When it looked like uh, my life, you know, I could see the end of it at that point. And he said, well, what do you want? And I said, I want to move home to Oregon. And so we made that happen. And one of the commitments that he and I made to each other was that we would take advantage of this incredible Northwest and get to out there and be active and be physically active outdoors. Because we were somewhat restricted to that in Dallas because it's so crazy hot a good portion of the year. So we were really looking forward to that. The very first event uh, that came upon us was the Susan G. Komen Walk in Portland. So we went to to the walk. My family was here. My daughter was with us um, and some other family members. We did that little 5K walk. And then there was all these booths set up afterwards. I happened to, I was just kind of wandering from one to the next like you do. And I saw this really brightly colored um, and with a lot of women in it, this tent that was for Pink Phoenix. So I went over to see what was what that was about, and turns out it's about a dragon boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm looking at all their little placards that they have. They had a brochure, very bright, shiny faces, really friendly women. And uh, I started to read through it, and I thought, well, the, you know, what dragon boating looked like, and that it was this was all breast cancer team. And I had been an athlete my whole life, and I, you know, played in high school, played in college, all different kinds of sports. Also, through did city league softball for about a decade or better, and uh, so you know, I took it really. I love being active like that, and especially outdoors. And having an opportunity to be with other women looked great. What was cool about this to me is that I was not seeking, nor had I ever sought a support group. Right. That's not just wasn't talk therapy was not something I really yeah. have ever utilized. I just have not, you know, strong mental health, et cetera. I just had not had that as an issue for myself. Support it, recommend it for others, just had not sure. been my life. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, uh, the support group aspect of this dragon boating, not interested in, but I would <laughs> love to get, but I would love to get physical. And so I, right then, I was ready to write him a check. And they said, oh, no, no, wait a second. That's not how we do it. You get to come down and see if you like dragon boating first, you know, three or four times. And then if you want to join us, you can. I said, fantastic. Slid my check over anyway. I said, here's my dues. I'm in. in. Take my money. Take it now. Yeah, take my money. I'm coming. (laughs) So 
that was like a Sunday. I think I was with them on Monday, the following Monday, because the end of the season, that usually takes place in September or October here. We still we paddle until the end of November. And that those early years, we were still paddling in November. We don't any longer. We tend to knock it off in October because of the weather. Right. Our weather gets tough. The river gets too, too terrible. So I joined. I went down my very first uh, next, uh, as I said, that was probably the following Monday. I was on the boat. And I was, you know, and it's not, not an easy sport and certainly nothing that uh, lines up with other sports that you've done. You know, it requires other muscle groups, et cetera, and skill set. And, uh, but I, I took to it like a duck, if you will, and <laughs> finished out the season with them and then was ready for the race season the next year. I love it. I love it. <laughs> and I, I have to say, um, you know, it's so unexpected. You know, many of us come into this and we're like, what in the heck is dragon boating? Um, yeah. But the way that it shifts our life is, you know, I, I feel like there are no words for it, quite honestly. Um, you know, just the the support that you get, not only from your own teammates, but, you know, when, when we go to the international festivals that are held every four years, mm-hmm. it is amazing to be around that many, you know, women and men who are breast cancer survivors. Yes, I, I've been fortunate, Melissa. I, this last year, I got to travel with the IBCPC. A lot of the founders. There's another. It's an international dragon boating t- team that I'm on called Lips LinkedIn yes. Pinks. I don't yeah. know. Okay. Yeah. So I'm a member. Yeah. So I'm a member of that crew, and uh, we went to um, Argentina. Oh yeah, to yeah. Paddle, paddle with them in the regatta this year, and it was amazing. Uh, in fact, I'm scheduled to be with them in Brazil in November of this year. And it was extraordinary. Uh, these women that were um, that were there for this regatta, some of them have never seen a dragon boat, had not um, been on the water yet. And they're on a team. They have equipment. They right. have a uniform. They've got a team name, all the things that you need to make a team, except they had never been in a boat. So it was really crazy uh, notion to me um, that these women could stay dedicated, be focused, be willing, all of these elements that I thought were so remarkable. And uh, they had many of them have been training using a broomstick and a rubber band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's extraordinary. Oh, I love it. We bawled our eyes out. We <laughs> I'm sure. Out. It was, yeah, it was amazing. We just had the best time. My husband was with me as well. He's also a dragon boater and a coach for dragon boating. Oh, has his fun. own team. Yeah. So it's it's very much a family affair. And of course, he got started in that uh, several years after I started. So it's been great to have that as a family event too. Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. Well, I feel like, you know, well, every time I see you, I just have to tell you that I adore you and Eric. Um, I know that, you know, we first met when we were at regionals and my team was competing against your team. And of course, you know, on the water, we're all business and serious. But, you know, the times that I have seen you guys since then, um, it really just genuinely warms my heart that, um, you know, the two of you are who you are. Um, and you guys are a very special couple and I absolutely adore both of you. Um, you. he makes me smile every time I see him. (laughs) Um, Yes, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but I really have enjoyed our time together and I know that, um, you know, somebody, there are going to be a lot of people who are impacted and, um, inspired by, um, your episodes. So, you know, again, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to spend it with me, um, and share your story. Oh, thanks so much. I really appreciated the opportunity, the platform to speak and, you know, certainly uh, I'm a very much an open book. If anybody would, you know, wants to chat, needs some, uh, just a, 
a good time to chat and connect, I'm available. So anytime. Awesome. Thank you for that. You bet. Take care. You too. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, please send an email to podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com. Thinking about advertising on this podcast? Our ads not only create awareness for your brand, but also contribute to the continued growth and support of this show. Email us today and be on our next episode. Email podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com for more information. You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.